This is the Reform Dish podcast. My name is Kevin, and I'm here with my co-host Chuck and our special guest, John Joseph. We're here to talk about the gospel, the Reformed Christian life, and everything in between. Thanks so much for joining us for episode number four. The title of our episode is Church Planting for Dummies. Awesome. So, John, we're honored to have you. Do you just want to give us a quick intro about yourself and and what you're doing? Yeah, excellent, man. It's great to be with you all. Uh, Thankful for this opportunity. Uh, Yeah, so John Joseph, uh, currently married to and plan to be married for the rest of my life to uh, Leah Joseph. I have three kids, Jack, who's six, Knox is four, and Grace is about one and a half, and I'm currently the lead pastor at Chevrolet Baptist Church in Chevrolet, Maryland. Awesome, awesome. Um, one of the reasons why I'm excited to have John on this podcast is number one, he's my, he's my favorite preacher. Yeah. Um, and number two, he has this evident, amazing zeal for the Lord. And I think a lot of this sort of stems from his testimony of how, how you got saved and all these John Piper mm-hmm. sermons you've been hearing as a young Christian. Mm-hmm. And, uh, for me, I've, I've heard your testimony a number of times. But every time I hear it, it, it seems to get encouraging at, like every single time. Yeah. So I want to just take a little bit of just kind of the beginning of this podcast to give it to you. If you can just share a little bit of how you met the Lord in the, and how he saved you in the midst of your sin. Yeah, no doubt. And what a huge encouragement for you to say that I'm your favorite, your favorite preacher. With no, all easily, the preachers easily. Who are out there. That's, that's crazy. Easily. Yeah, that's, that's crazy. But uh, yeah, I appreciate that. Praise God. Yeah, so testimony-wise, I mean, uh, my story, like all stories for all Christians, it's a story of God's grace and mercy towards me. Yeah, so grew up, uh, I, I think I major details, grew up and uh, was raised in a Catholic family. Uh, in high school, when I left high school to go to college, went to Virginia Commonwealth University to play baseball. VCU. Yeah, VCU, VCU Rams, man. Um, but when I left high school and didn't have to go to Mass anymore, I kind of gave up on all of it. I, I was not really convinced that religion was necessary or that God was real. was all about the world, was all about popularity, sports, girls, that whole life. And uh, most people start college, they, they go from immature to more mature. I started immature and went towards reckless. Uh, and by the time I got out of college, I was really in love with the streets, uh, got involved in drugs that, that whole life. So started smoking a lot of weed, then selling weed, then using cocaine, then selling cocaine. And just that, that whole world really chewed me up and spit me out. After about five years, uh, uh, around 26, I joined the Coast Guard. Thought I could get away from my problems if I just got a good job and, and moved away from the city I was living in, but I realized that my city wasn't the problem. I was the problem. So you were so, miserable during those times, and oh you were trying to do gosh. something about it. Oh my gosh. And you're just like, I'm going to get it. Yeah. I'm just well, leave. The, the Coast Guard idea come from you or your parents? Who were, who's yeah, my dad kept floating ideas about joining like the armed services uh, uh, to me, and then I, when I got to the end of my rope, because to answer your question, I was miserable. I hated myself. I just couldn't stop doing what I was doing. I felt like I was trapped, like you know, a slave to sin. Um, so joined the Coast Guard, went to move to the West Coast. I was stationed on a boat out there, but my problems just followed me. Drinking, drugs, that, that whole life just, it, it continued out on the West Coast. And really, the, uh, the Lord put the first Christian I ever recall meeting who was open about following Jesus in my life. Then His name was Art Thompson. He was a skater kid from Northern California. I always remember him. He would always say to me, Josie, Jesus loves you, bro. He would share the gospel with me. He had an evident joy. He bought me the case for Christ by Lee Strobel. That got me thinking about what it would look like to, to, to follow Jesus. 
the Lord moved me on from, from there in Oregon to Northern California, met a few more Christians, kept thinking about things. But it was really when I came back to the East Coast in 2008, I watched a Bill Maher documentary, Bill Maher, Real Talk, HBO, Atheist, uh, and he was clowning religion. Uh, and understandably, there's a lot of people who do that. But he raised some objections about Christianity that I just never heard before, and I had been thinking about following Jesus for a little while now. So I got online, Googled Christian debate, uh, found Ravi Zacharias, and he really dismantled the atheist, agnostic, unbelieving mindset and worldview. And that led me to pursue more teaching online. And it was uh, January of 2010 that I ran into a John Piper sermon. And the Lord just opened my eyes to the fact glory. that, I, yeah, it was glory. <laughs> well, in that sermon, it was justice. I still remember it okay. like it was yesterday. I, was, I had come home from a trip to Richmond, Virginia for New Year's. I was miserable because I kept, I kept doing the same things I'd been doing for the whole decade prior. And I decided to turn on a sermon. I turned on a John Piper sermon. It was the first one I ever heard from him. And he was preaching on God's justice. And I just stood there frozen in my living room while it was on, he was on the computer. I was unpacking and I just stopped and just started staring at him. I thought, who is this maniac? Like, but everything he was saying was true. And it was the first time in my life where I, I moved from thinking, I have done bad things and I hate myself to I have sinned against a holy God and I deserve to go to hell. Uh, and it was two nights later, I went back and listened to another sermon on John 3.16. The Lord just radically opened my eyes, uh, and my life changed drastically. And I know that's not everyone's story, but it was the way the Lord had it lined up for me. And uh, yeah, things changed. So quickly. you got all that exposure online. Yeah, and you were, I mean, you the were Lord just... chased me down uh, through natural means online. Yeah, that was really apart from Art Thompson and a couple other Christians. Most of my exposure to Christianity was online. So you were, were you searching for just sermons on YouTube and you came across a John Piper sermon? Well, it's interesting. I had, uh, I had been given a book, uh, a couple years prior by Donald Miller, a really well-known yeah. uh, author and his home church. He describes in his book, Blue Light Jazz. I started listening to their sermons uh, this is in the middle of 2009, and that pastor mentioned John Piper. And I got to the point where I had listened to enough of that guy's sermons where I was just like, I just want to hear somebody new. Right, right. And that's what caused me to, to pick John Piper. Uh, so it's just uh, crazy the way that the Lord used it. Wow. Okay, so I, I'm curious then. So you get onto John Piper. How mm -hmm. did you end up at CHBC? Yeah. And how do you end up becoming Reformed-ish in yeah. your theology? Yeah, yeah. for sure. Um, so John Piper was... Uh, apart from the, the sermons uh, from Imago Day Church in Portland, Oregon, John Piper was my introduction as an eyes-opened Christian yeah. to Christianity. Like most of us. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and so, you know, John Piper, uh, you know, is full-on Reformed theology, and it's so clear in his preaching. I think the first sermon series of his that I listened to after I got saved was a sermon series th that he was preaching through Romans. So his preaching. You heard was, all of that? How many sermons uh, no, 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 no. <laughs> It's like hundreds of them. Yeah, there, there are hundreds. I didn't wow. finish the whole thing. But I tell you what, man, I was listening. Like I was listening to sermons in the morning, uh, on my lunch break, on the way to work, on the You're way home from work. Yeah, yeah, I just couldn't get enough of it because it, for my, I was thirty years old when I got saved. I had been searching for truth. I had been searching for joy. I had been searching in kind of carnal pleasures, drinking, sensuality, those things and became miserable because it was not there. So when he was preaching, it was like, this dude is telling me the truth, and I just couldn't get enough of it.
So yeah, my introduction to Reformed Theology was through John Piper, then connecting the dots online. I started looking for other pastors like him, found R.C. Sproul and John MacArthur, listened to a bunch of their stuff. And you're talking about like, you know, Heavy hitters, uh, heavy hitters there, yeah. of reform. Hardcore now, it's like level two. And so, yeah, and so, so uh, it was through R.C. Sproul's website, through Ligonier, uh, Ligonier Ministries, that I found Mark Dever, and I was looking for churches at this time. We're you know fast forward two months into being a Christian now. So you're in the D.C. area at this point. I was living in Annapolis, so I got saved sitting in an apartment at Westwind's apartment complex in Annapolis, uh, watching a Piper sermon online. Uh, after listening to enough sermons, I realized, hey, I can't do this on my own. I need to find a church. Uh, attended a few churches in the area and eventually decided to drive down to, to CHBC in D.C. And yeah, that was as soon as I came, I knew that was it. Like that, this was the place where I needed to be. And, and Mark Dever was preaching that Sunday? No, Mark Dever wasn't preaching that Sunday. So uh, <laughs> yeah, um, I was all about finding somebody who was preaching, who would preach like John Piper. Like John Piper. Yeah. Course, so yeah. I show up at CHBC, and the first Sunday that I show up, uh, David Platt is preaching, oh. and not Mark oh. Dever. And so, you know, he he preached. He, I remember he started his sermon by reciting like Psalms. I think it was Psalms one forty five through one fifty, or, or, or a handful of those praise psalms. And by the time he finished reciting them, I was like, you know, my face had like melted off. And like <laughs> the whole sermon was like David Platt uh, just getting after it. And I thought, yeah. I can't believe I found a church near me with a pastor <laughs> like, like John Piper who preaches like John Piper. So I came back the next week and wow. Mark Dever was preaching. And, and I was like, who is this dude? <laughs> where did David Platt go? Yeah, where is that young fiery guy? <laughs> Oh my gosh! So true. I mean, you when we heard, I heard David Platt sermon for the first time, like at a missions conference. Yeah, at CrossCon. Yeah, at CrossCon, and I was just like weeping and just like, after, like was every, that the that was that that was when he recited pretty much all of Romans exactly, just oh, by yeah. memory, just by just I first fifteen minutes he was just yeah. doing that. Was yeah, like, oh, that was incredible. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, and then so you end up at CHBC, yep. you join membership, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, you you just get plugged in pretty quickly. Yeah, so one of the things that stuck out to me about CHBC, I, I can't really tell you what my opinion of Christians was before, and especially Christian men, was before I became a Christian. But I recall thinking when I heard John Piper, I've never heard a Christian man talk about Jesus like this. Uh-huh. Uh, like serious, like Jesus is the king. You know, he, 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 he commands respect and submission and all those good things. He's a good king. So I come to CHBC, and the thing that stuck out to me about CHBC was, wow, there are a bunch of guys who, if I didn't see them at this church, I would think they're just like me. Just a bunch of kind of like normal guys, normal men, but seriously following Jesus. Wow, yeah. And I was really attracted to that and uh, got, to, got to know an in, a guy who was an intern at CHBC at the time, Brady Tarr. Brady Tarr was looking for a roommate, and I wanted to move closer to D.C. to be closer to the church. And mm-hmm. so linked up with Brady and moved down to the hill in July of 2010. Wow. And then, yeah, just tried to build my life right around the church, get involved in discipling relationships. So you do that. You become an integral member. Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, you're a pastor now. Yeah. So t- what, what, what changed of so being a regular member mm-hmm. and then reading and discipling others? What, what, what happened there in terms of? you know, going towards, because you eventually go on staff. Yeah. How long were you on staff at CHBC? I was on staff, if you count the beginning of the internship, I was on staff from January of 2014 uh, until 
December of 2017. So almost in, in a t- time period of four years, you moved towards from being a very kind of young Christian, mm-hmm. uh, joining CHPC for the first time, and then going on staff at CHPC. Yeah, yeah. It's there. There are still moments today where I feel like my I've been hijacked. My life has been hijacked. I was going a completely different direction. Sure. How on earth did I end up here? Yeah. Uh, yeah, praise so, God, praise God. I know, yeah. that's right. So I would point to, to um, two, three different things. I would say that the supernatural means that God used, uh, I, he gave me a great hunger for his word, just read the Bible all the time early on, and God does work through his word. It's powerful. Uh, so he certainly was shaping me through that uh, and, and, and shaping my desires. But then paired with that were, was the local church and discipling relationships. Mm. So I immediately started showing up at work. I was still in the Coast Guard at the time and was sharing the gospel with uh, my coworkers, was starting Bible studies, had a real desire. Like, I right. want to tell people about this. Yeah. So that component was, was there right away. Uh, but it was through discipling relationships with guys from the church and uh, especially from Mark Dever's input and guidance in my life where those guys helped me mature as a Christian to start thinking as a mature man about the Christian life. And it was in doing that that I started uh, talking with them about these desires to teach the Bible and to possibly go into ministry. But it, just because I had those desires, I didn't think like, hey, this isn't enough just because I want to do it. It was really dependent on, on those guys and especially Mark and the other members of the pastoral staff saying, we also think you should do this. Yeah. Uh, and so that was key. Right. I mean, I, I know for myself, when I first got to CHBC, um, you know, a couple of years after you had arrived. Dude, uh, you, when did you first? Uh... 2013. Okay. I had arrived there in the summer of 2013. Mm-hmm. And so you weren't. Uh, you weren't an intern yet, yeah. Um, but you know, even when I had gotten there, the, you know, you're a couple of years in. I, you were renowned in, in the church for being that guy who's discipling. <laughs> I don't know. Everyone. I don't know if that's deserved. Discipling <laughs> dudes left and right, and everyone's like, "Oh yeah, John Joseph's got the the Bible memorized," and uh, it, he was just such a clear model of of someone when the Lord takes them out of their sin and regenerates them mm-hmm. and gives them a new heart with new desires that was John Joseph for me so it was mm-hmm. it felt like a pretty natural transition to for you to go into ministry in my mind when yeah. I'm looking back yeah yeah and what, one of the things that's interesting too is like the the Lord did change me and he, and he changed me in a major way but it was also in the midst of those discipling relationships that I realized I have a long way to go if I'm ever going to be in ministry mm-hmm. because I just did not love people the way I thought I should and there was a few key relationships guys like Nick Gardner and William Wolf, guys who I lived with and was certainly in discipling relationships with, where the Lord was exposing my self-love and helping me to love more like Christ. And, and it was through their friendship and, and other guys in the church that, that the Lord showed these things. It was just, just kind of keys on the importance of the church and the importance of these relationships in helping make me into uh, the type of man who's fit to go into ministry. It's amazing. And then you skip a few years, and we're here now, uh, and you planted a church. Mm-hmm. So I want to kind of kind of transition our topic now to talking about church planting, yeah, and then multiplying disciples, like you're just talking about right now. So, John, why is it why is it imperative for us to plant churches? Yeah. Why shouldn't Christians all just go and then become members of one giant mega church? 
Yeah, I think that's a great question. I think the reason that we should plant churches is just rooted in the Great Commission, that to go and to make disciples. So fundamental uh, to making disciples is going and teaching, going and teaching. And so it, the Lord could have set it up such that the world had one massive megachurch that everyone went to. Obviously, that'd be really hard. Like, But you could have one massive church in every country. But right from the get-go, the model, the pattern that we have in the New Testament is going and planting churches, spreading the glory of God to all people in all places through planting uh, churches that are preaching the gospel and where people are coming to faith. So really, we should plant churches because that's the pattern that, that uh, has been laid down in Scripture. But you also realize you know, we need more churches to reach more people, right? So yeah. the, if you take CHBC as an example, CHBC really didn't have access to the community of Chevrolet. We had members living in Chevrolet. So just the audience knows. Tell us, tell us where Chevrolet is and yes. where DC is. So uh, CHBC, Capitol Baptist Church, is on Capitol Hill, uh, just a few blocks behind the Supreme Court. And Chevrolet, Maryland is 15 minutes northeast, north slightly east of DC, just across the DC border. And we had 100 members of Capitol Hill Baptist Church living in Chevrolet. Mostly elders. Yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah. That's right. A lot of that's elders like there. It's a tenth of the church, right? Yeah. yeah. It is a tenth yeah. of the church. Wow. But a lot of them were struggling to get their neighbors in Chevrolet to come to church because people in this community just didn't want to drive down to D.C. So uh -huh. what, did, what, did, what did the members uh, of CHBC living in Chevrolet uh, pray and talk about doing? Well, they prayed and talked about, let's plant a local church here in Chevrolet. That's where... Chevrolet Baptist Church originated and you know, the Lord giving them those desires and then them praying about it and moving towards it. But we would not have reached people in the same way had we not planted a church. Mm. Uh, and uh, you can think of all a, a host of different ways that plays out, whether it's cross-cultural, uh, cross socioeconomic boundaries. We are, God has created us uh, as as creatures who you know we are one in Christ. we're one in Christ as Christians we're all descended from one father but we have clear uh, differences between us like right we're uh, to sitting here with two Korean brothers <laughs> my Caucasian brother we're, you guys are gonna have access to people uh, and cultures that I don't have access to in a different way right yeah uh, and so you want to think in terms of that as well when we're thinking about planting churches yeah and so why did you end up you know there, there's opportunities of course to revitalize mm -hmm. uh, you know dying churches that are having a, a congregation that is slowly going extinct mm -hmm. you know maybe because of age or people moving out of the area um, why, in, every, in every major city a, yeah. every major city yeah. across the United States or across the world right yeah. Uh, why did you end up planting instead of revitalizing? What was kind of the impetus behind that reasoning? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, so for us, it was a lack of an opportunity to revitalize in this area. Uh, had there been a church that was open to it, yeah. uh, we certainly would have pursued it because there's so many things that you can do if you have your own building that are just harder to do. If you're a church plant. So you would encourage planters to even consider maybe revitalizing first before they plant. Certainly look in the area where you're intending to plant and before you plant, see if there are churches that are like-minded and that are open to revitalization or merging uh, that are in need of it and desire it and certainly pursue that. We just didn't have any of those opportunities around us. And so we, uh, we moved towards planting, yeah. but it's certainly something that uh, church planters should consider.
Okay, so I'm curious to know, especially as a guy um, who wants to head into full-time pastoral ministry, Kevin as well, is there then a wrong way to go about church planting? Like, how, how do I make yeah. sure I don't mess this up if I want to do this one day? Yeah, uh, so I, ultimately, our, our success you know, as a local church, uh, it, it really isn't dependent I guess what I want to say is Chevrolet Baptist Church's success and the success of the Universal Church are not intertwined. Mm. So Chevrolet Baptist Church may last five years, it may last 500 years, uh, and whether or not it lasts that long doesn't mean anything regarding the Universal Church. We know the Universal Church will last forever. So you want to think about it in in, in that term, like God's sovereign, the church will prevail and will be victorious against the gates of hell. So... What would I say to a young guy who's thinking about church planting? I would say, who is the church and who are the pastors who have affirmed your desire to go into pastoral ministry? Because the pattern that I think we see in the New Testament is that uh, pastors are raised up from within local churches. Uh, they should be, in, you know, in best case scenario, affirmed by their own pastors. Their giftings have been affirmed. They've been tested, uh, and, and the, that church believes that they are you know, worthy of being sent out to be a church planner. So I'd say a wrong way about going about doing it is laying hands on yourself, uh-huh. anointing yourself, yeah. um, seeing your internal call as the, the, the only necessary you know, kind of prerequisite to you planning a church, and then just going out and doing it. Not saying God can't work through it. He can. Uh, and and uh, I'm sure he has in the past, but I would say the wisest possible decision is to, to set your fate and your future in the hands of elders who know you, uh, whom you can trust, uh, and allow them to affirm those giftings, uh, and then to even help you build a team around you to go out and plant it. And, and that's what you gained uh, throughout your time as HBC. Yeah, right? it's exactly part what of the external I gained. calling, yeah, exactly, the affirmation. Yeah. yeah, that's right. And yes. you know, I, I could have been foolish. Mm-hmm. I could have said, you know what? Uh, I feel called two, three years into being a Christian. I need to just go plant a church and I don't care what they say. Yeah. God has called me to do it. Well, right. but you read uh, Hebrews 13. Yeah, that's right. That's, <laughs> right. that's right. That's exactly so, right. So, okay. Say that you get, you get this external calling. What are some mm-hmm. like practical rookie mistakes that someone could, could make um, as you're now thinking about this? Yeah. Uh, I think, um, because you know, if you do revitalization, you 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 go into a building. Mm-hmm. You you don't have to do all these other stuff mm-hmm. that you get, and obviously there's challenges that come with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but church planning is, is is such a different kind of motion mm-hmm. than revitalization is. Yeah, it is. So take us a little bit further in. Like, what are some practical? Or maybe if you want, you can share rookie mistakes. That's maybe right. That's made. right. That's, yeah. that's kind of what I'm like, asking yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah like, like, why were you so dumb? Yeah. Falling on my face. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, you know, um, I I have definitely made mistakes. I think one thing that has made our experience uh, probably smoother than most church plants experience is that I went into this surrounded by four capable and experienced elders. Mm. So I was one of, uh, so I was surrounded in the beginning with three other elders. We now have five uh, who that kind of, that body of wisdom helped us think through things uh, probably in a way that, you know, if I went out on my own, I would have probably made far more mistakes. Uh, let's see. I mean, mistakes that, uh, mistakes that you can make, I think, are it trusting in. There's this real 
this real reframing of church planning as an entrepreneurial business yeah. effort. Yeah, a lot of business type books yeah, out there. Yeah, that's right. And, and it's not to say that those those books don't have some some wisdom to, to offer church planners or, or people about organization, about how you know how to communicate with people well. But it's so easy to get caught up in that world and start thinking that those are the most important things mm-hmm. when the most important things as a church planner are to remain in connection with the Lord through regular time in the word mm. personally mm. regular time in prayer and opening up your life to other people to uh, not only to disciple them but to be discipled by them we all need help just because I'm a pastor does not mean I have you know attained kind of this master level of discipleship I need brothers around me to call me out on sin uh, to help me walk with the Lord and I think that church planners can often kind of parachute into places without enough people around them and they might get wrapped up into this this whole kind of business entrepreneurial world and then it all it all it becomes about how you know how slick they can be how innovative they can be yeah. you know how savvy they can be and in communicating with people and just getting people to to church and you can very quickly become thin spiritually if you yourself are not staying connected to the Lord and communing with him regularly uh, and being fed by him. And I think that's a real pitfall that faces church planters. I think it's a real pitfall that faces pastors in general. Yeah. Um, but that would be kind of one of the clearest. And I, I think I can, I can look back at my experience over coming up now on two years and say, there have been so many weeks where I have been, for lack of a better term, prayerless, I haven't spent time in the Word apart from the work, you know, what I'm preparing to, to preach to the congregation, and my experience of preaching to them uh, and, and and really shepherding them uh, changes drastically when I myself am walking more cl- in a more clear way with the Lord in prayer in the Word, and so I would I would say be very careful as a church planner about getting swept up into the world of marketing and entrepreneurship. And I, I would have said also, that I'm sure that there are a lot of church planners who think, or, or guys who think, I, I can't be a church planner because I'm, I'm just not entrepreneurial. Well, that's just not true. If you're qualified to be a pastor, I think you are qualified in every meaningful way to be a church planner. I am the, la- the like the least entrepreneurial person. The, I, like I, I kind of hate, hate everything that. about it. Uh, it's like I, all I wanted to do mm. was come and, and, and preach the word, disciple saints, share the gospel with people, and watch the Lord build His church. Mm. And, and I'm thankful to say that's that is what He's doing. Mm. And we don't have like a, a slick setup. You know, we meet in an elementary school gym. Uh, you know, we sing songs, set we up, pray tear prayers, down, set up, tear down, all yeah. that. Like there is, you come into our service, and you know, we're not going to wow you visually, Lord willing. We're going to wow you by the way that we welcome you uh, in Christ, and then, uh, Lord willing, you'll be wowed by God's word yeah. and, and by you know communing with Him. That's great. So it, I think it's the the danger for church planners is focusing on the wrong things. Yeah, and it, I, I think it is so so countercultural right now, even in our Christian context, to think about that. Uh, we think of someone who's good at Instagram mm. or social media yeah. and can brand well. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, very mm-hmm. slick, yeah. good-looking marketing is mm-hmm. is a successful church planner. That's right. Um, but you're you're just talking about the ordinary means of grace. Yeah, evangelism, preaching God's word, and, and that's praying. exactly right. Yeah. And it's seriously, it's not to take anything away from you know, hey, use use Instagram, put up a put up some sort of graphic, let people know what you're doing. 
we have a, a Facebook page that we advertise through minimally, you know, in terms of events going on uh, in the life of the church. But that is not where we put the bulk of our time or the bulk of our effort. Yeah. Uh, the bulk of our effort, at least for me, is in preparing to preach the word and in discipling the saints and, and encouraging yeah. them in discipling relationships with others. Because that's what's going to create the community of Christ that is attractive to the world. Yeah. If you are, if your church is just taken up with, we need to, like, we need to have slick marketing, our signs need to look great. Well, you are basically saying we are going to try to be like all secular companies who have millions of dollars that they can spend on these things and you're just not going to do it as well as them i mean mark said it so well what you what you win them with is is what what you you win win them too too. yeah that's so right so chevrolet baptist church is is how old now yeah we're coming up on two years so february 18th of 2020 will be Mm. two years old so i asked that because my dad was a church planner Mm -hmm. Um, and the first five years of of his ministry when he first started so this is a little more than 20 years ago was extremely hard. Now, he didn't come out in with all the categories in place that we're talking about right now. Mm-hmm. He didn't have a group of elders. He wasn't trained He in, in a way where he would have wanted to, which caused, I think, a lot of the first five years to be really hard. Mm-hmm. But church planning in general is really, really hard. To go to a, a neighborhood that doesn't have a church and to start anew is extremely hard. So I, I want to I kind of talk about that, right? Like, I don't want to paint like a rosy picture of, of our conversation because we've just been talking about the highlights. Paint us a little bit more of, of how it is realistically. Maybe tell us some, some of the difficult parts, whatever you can share um, here with us so far. I yeah. think that would be helpful. Yeah, no, that's a great question. And I think it's a, a good motivation to not want to skip over the difficulties because let's be honest, you know, Jesus Christ says, whoever would follow me, let him take up his cross, right? And mm-hmm. he, he's thinking at that time, the literal cross, like take it up and follow me. Like yeah. you, you're going to die with me. You get you fast forward to the book of Acts and the New Testament. It's clear. You know, Paul says like we we've been chosen to suffer. It's been granted to you to suffer for His sake, and it's a gift. Suffering is a gift, yeah. a yeah. gift yeah. That, that brings greater joy in Christ as you share with Christ in the sufferings that He experienced, and and you come to know uh, God as Father as He did, uh, and share in, you know greater union with Christ in that way. You know, we're totally united to Christ by faith, but there's a, an identification in his suffering that I think allows us to experience him, him in, a, in a more full way. So I would say that what I have experienced that I just I could not have been prepared for was the difference in the way that I would carry burdens as a senior pastor that I did not have at all as an assistant pastor. As an assistant pastor, I would leave staff meetings, or I, whatever meetings we had, and ultimately, it was not my decision in the end, right? It was, mm-hmm. it was Mark Dever's decision. It was, as I did not have to carry the weight of mm-hmm. the decisions that we made in the same way that I feel them now. And even with an, with an elder board, there is a peculiar, uh, particular weight that, that senior pastors carry where, yeah, the buck stops with you in a sense. You are you're shep- you're an under shepherd of the chief shepherd, but you're the one making decisions along with your elders for a church. And, and when people are unhappy about those decisions, they're unhappy with you. That's what you can feel <laughs> That's like, right? right? Yeah. right? And they're not necessarily unhappy with you. But I, I certainly, you know, the way the Lord has constituted my personality, I can tend to feel that, uh, and, and it weighs on me heavily. I've had countless sleepless nights. 
yeah, difficulty concentrating because of difficult things going on mm-hmm. in the life of the church. Paul talks about his his anxiety that he feels for for the churches, and you know, in some small way, I can identify with that. Yeah. Very I, I real know for you. Yeah, I know what he's talking about. So yeah, we've we, we've had some hardship. the The unity of our church was threatened from the get go by a very difficult situation that occurred, and it really took months and months to resolve. Um, my wife and I were panicked about whether the church would even continue. It seemed like Satan wow. uh, came after the church right away, uh, and that was it. Was that was brutally hard, uh, and uh, it, it was really trial by fire. Uh, welcome, uh, welcome to the ministry. Uh, so it was very difficult, and that that was really the first six months of of, of our ministry uh, was. Uh, colored by that experience that happened right from the get-go yeah. then you just have you know you have people move on uh, for, who were part of the original core group who were wonderful members and move on because of, of job relocation or to be closer to family things like that so you you lose part of your heart because you, you know, you've poured into them uh, and you're happy to see them go and bless other churches but you also realize part of you is going with them you have uh, a, a thousand small decisions that you make on, on a daily basis that that people take issue with or you know maybe have a different opinion on uh, and so there's this uh, constant journey at least in myself wanting to make sure that that we're all on the right page and you're just realizing that that calling pastors shepherds is a very appropriate term uh, it, walking among the flock and making sure we're all going the same direction I have realized is a daily task uh, and I need to give attention to the flock daily. Yeah. So regularly contacting members of the church, praying with them, asking them how they're doing, talking to them about decisions we're making. Uh, there's just a whole host of pressures uh, that go into it. And then the sinful flesh creeps up, right? I want to I wanna make sure that my sermons, like there, there, there have been more Sundays that I care to admit where I have preached in my flesh, thinking it's dependent on me, mm-hmm. knowing it's not, mm-hmm. but acting as though it is. And yeah, it's, it's, it's been a hard experience in that sense. Wow. So, you know, uh, we're, we're getting towards the end of our time here. Share with us some, you know, now some highlights, like an encouraging story of some of your work at Chevrolet yeah. so far. Yeah, I think some of, the most, uh, some of the most encouraging aspects all have to do with God's work in saving other people. Uh, so we've seen people converted uh, under the, oh, the ministry of C- CBC, and it has been so encouraging to watch them and watch their eyes their spiritual eyes open mm. and then to see the lord give to them mm. a massive appetite for the word they're just so, hungry yeah they're That's showing great. up they're showing up to bible study <laughs> yeah. they're reading everything i give to them they're asking questions they're at every possible teaching outlet that the church That's has amazing. Uh, and that has been so encouraging even as I'm looking at the wall around me we have some pictures on my wall you see one up there oh, yeah. the, the, the pool on the right hand side that's me baptizing I'm a now member of our church at, at, at uh, one of our baptismal services mm. this past summer Wow uh, so it that has been the most encouraging aspect and then watching other members of the church who you know when we were at CHBC, it's kind of a byproduct of being in a large church. There's just less opportunity to really assume responsibility. 
And it's been really wonderful to see members of our church assume responsibility in a way that they, they didn't have opportunities for at CHBC. And they're now doing that and watching them, them grow spiritually uh, has, been, has been awesome. That's amazing. John, thanks so much for your time today. The end of our time is actually now finally upon us. Any you know, final words of encouragement for our listeners? And, and maybe particularly narrow it down for those who, who are thinking about devoting their lives to, to the glorious but difficult work of, of Christian ministry. Yeah, amen. I think, the, I think the first thing I would say is remember that you are first and foremost a child of God. And you are completely dependent upon uh, God and his work through the spirit in Christ for all things. And so I would say, uh, stay focused at all times on your relationship with the Lord, give attention to the word, give attention to prayer, give attention to the common means of grace that God has given us. Uh, yeah, then I would say really lean on and rely on those discipling relationships that you have around you. And if the Lord has blessed you with wise pastors, uh, entrust yourself to their care and their counsel. If you feel like you need outside counsel, you, know, you look to other friends or, or pastors of other churches that you might have a relationship with, but really pursue the Lord personally. Uh, be discipling other Christians because if you uh, end up as a pastor, you will always remain a disciple of Christ and then you are choosing to enter into uh, or, or willingly take on the ministry of discipling people prof mm. professionally in that sense, even yeah. though we're not professionals. It will be your vocation. Mm. Thanks, John. Folks, thanks so much for joining us for episode number four of Reformed-ish on church planting. We pray that all of you, no matter what your life calling might look like, would be stirred up to devote your life to the work of furthering gospel work throughout the world and faithfully laboring for the good of others at your local churches. This is our final episode for the season. Be on the lookout for the next season dropping soon in 2020. We'd love to hear from you on topics you'd be interested in hearing more about. Tweet at us or leave us some comments on any social media channel. Speaking of social media. <laughs> we wish you a happy holiday season. Join us next year on Reformed-ish.